Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all you have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with the one and only Rebecca Minkoff. And honestly, I can't even believe that I'm saying those words, but it's true. She is honestly incredible. This interview is amazing because she just kept it so real and She just talks about things that people don't really like to talk about, things that may be uncomfortable or that could be embarrassing, but she just doesn't care. She's just here to tell it like it is. And for that, I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful that you guys get to listen to her be so just transparent. Rebecca honestly does not need an introduction by any means, but for anyone listening who's been living under a rock for the past 15 years, I'm happy to give you a little background. Rebecca Minkoff is one of the most respected designers in the fashion industry. Her line is an edgy mix of luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel. After falling in love with design while in the costume department of her high school, Rebecca bought a one-way ticket to New York City at 18 years old to pursue her dream of becoming a fashion designer, and she bootstrapped the business from her apartment with money she'd saved from her bat mitzvah. In 2001, Rebecca designed her own version of the iconic I Love New York t-shirt that somehow made its way onto The Tonight Show and became an overnight sensation, catapulting the brand into what it is today. Today, the brand is distributed in over 900 stores worldwide with a range of apparel, handbags, footwear, jewelry, and accessories, as well as men's accessories. Rebecca is a true innovator in every sense of the word, who has not only pioneered integrating fashion and technology, But in 2018, she established the Female Founder Collective, whose mission is to enable and empower female-owned and led businesses to positively impact our communities, both socially and economically. Welcome to Active Ingredient, Rebecca. So I cannot believe that I'm here with Rebecca Minkoff. Thank you so much for being on the Active Ingredient podcast. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Um, So... I don't know how much you know about Active Ingredient, but it's basically a podcast for people who are kind of lost and don't really know how to identify what it is that they kind of find to be their passion. And I feel like it's such a loaded question when people are like, what is it that you that makes you happy? What lights you up inside? And like, how are you attacking that in your career? And at least in my group of friends, my boyfriend, I myself have felt that huge confusion. Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you have so many different active ingredients to yourself. So at this moment in time, what would you say your active ingredient is? I feel that my active ingredient is, well, that's a tough question. Um, and you can have several, but like at this moment in time, what are they? And when you say active ingredient, you mean like the thing that's keeping me excited and stimulated? Yeah. So like when I, when I see you, like as, as an outsider, I would say that your active ingredient is to empower women and you have like, so that's like the umbrella. Yes. And then under that, there's different things. But I feel like when you started your company, I don't know if that was the, the initial direction. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. So I think right now my active ingredient is, you know, recently I formed um, a nonprofit called the Female Founder Collective, mm-hmm. and it was with the idea that there's no recognizable symbol that consumers can see and know that a woman owns this brand. Yeah. So brands like Away or you know brands that don't have their name 
<clears throat> in the in the title. And uh, there was a study done about two years ago that found that 82% of women are more likely to support other female-founded companies on their products if they knew how. So yeah. it was the launching this symbol is like the quickest way for me that I could think of to get only 11 million women-owned businesses in the U.S. Wow. to sign on. It's a big goal. We already have about 3,000. Wow. So I when think did you start? Two months ago. So I think that right now, seeing the momentum, the excitement um, that these women have about not only displaying the symbol, but also connecting um, and helping each other with resources has really been exciting. Amazing. Yeah. And that so, was definitely not the goal when I started it, because when I started, it was like, here's a handbag. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And, and being a female entrepreneur wasn't like a thing, if that makes sense. Totally. You just, it wasn't a label. It wasn't. There was just like you started a business and yeah. that's what you did. So interesting. So is the la- is the label on the on the actual like product or how do how do people identify it? We have it in some storefronts, okay. um, like Universal Standard or Rebecca Minkoff stores. Um, we also ha- will be printing it on our hang tags, and coming mm-hmm. next year it'll be on a notable tampon company's packaging oh. and on a notable kombucha company's packaging. So it's Amazing. starting. So you're like the certified organic, but certified female. Correct. Certified female. I love female. it. Yes. I love it. Yes. Um, so did you always know that you wanted to work for yourself? Like, did you always have an entrepreneurial itch, entrepreneurial parents? I had very entrepreneurial parents, um, and they definitely made sure that we had to work for everything we ever wanted. Nothing was handed to us, mm-hmm. um, which is terrible when you're growing up, but really... The best gift they could have given you. The best gift, yes. So I think when I moved here, I worked for designer for um, almost three years. And I loved it, but I also was like, I don't want someone telling me what to do. Yeah. So for me, it was like, well, that means I have to start my own company. So um, How old were you? I was 21. And I had like $10,000 in savings for my bar mitzvah. That's 21. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I just started with a very small five piece collection and worked as a stylist on the side. Sometimes I was a bartender and just did whatever I could to just get my stuff out there. Were your friends entrepreneurial too? I feel like it's like very difficult to find a 21 year old. I mean, nowadays, yes, but like then I feel like ancient history, not Uh, that you're ancient, but but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like your, your group dictates a lot of what you do too. Yes. Without you even knowing it. So did you have entrepreneurial friends in your group that Um, tell you when you were like, I actually can do this? You know what? My roommate was a graphic designer and she had her own graphic design company. So I think she was probably the person I hung out with the most. And we Mm -hmm. were like living in poverty together and going through, you know, all the struggles you go through when you start your own company and you have no money to do anything. And so I think that we leaned on each other a lot, but no, I didn't have a lot of friends that were entrepreneurial. They all had like like jobs where I would, I would be like, God, it's so nice that like they can afford to go out. But then at the same time, I was like, I love what I'm doing every day. What is your checklist? when an idea invigorates you and like, how do you know that that's something that you want to go after? Like girl power or female creatives? Like how? I think it's two parts. I think, um, a, like it's a gut feeling, Mm -hmm. but then B you see that there is a surge in desire. And obviously people have built companies and I built my company where I have to be pushing 
the hardest of anyone for it to go. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times where you see companies, for instance, the wing where the momentum from others is so great that yeah. like the, the person who launched it has to keep it going, but yeah. there's an overwhelming surge of uh, others. And so I felt like you obviously hope for the second, but most companies are the first. Yeah. So I think that, you know, with girl power, it was really just this moment of, reaching out to everyone I knew and saying, Hey, we want to do something for charity. You know, do you want to participate? Will you sport this shirt? And it was just this groundswell of yes. And you got to take those moments when they happen because they're yeah. few and far between and seize it totally. and like make it into something. But even getting to like that thought though for girl power, <laughs> like I'm sure you personally have so many ideas floating. Like what is it that you, Rebecca, have to like feel like a hundred percent yes before you even go ask people for that yes? Um, that's a good question. I think that you can hope that everyone will say yes, but you just have to have almost like this energy within yourself that's just so convinced and so excited and so sure. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're not, you have to like just build up yourself before you make that ask. Yeah. And it's always been a numbers game for me. So it's like I probably asked 75 women to do it and 10 posted. Yeah. But I didn't get stuck on the one, you know, and I think I always approached even, even in the early days when you would mail, yes, mail, <laughs> uh, you know, lookbooks to stores, you yeah. know, I focus on numbers. I said, okay, I'm going to hit a thousand stores and three would reply. So for me, I would like, okay, so for every three, I need a thousand mailers. So I sort of turn it into a math equation of how many people do I need to reach out to to have X happen. And then it's not emotional. You don't feel rejected. You're just like, this it's is the, it's just numbers. So cool. So does your team also have a big factor in it? Like, do you sit together and you're like, I have this idea to create this movement and your feedback with your team has something to do with it or? Totally. I would definitely not be here without my team. Um, there's a lot of brainstorming that goes on. I mean, prior to aligning with the Women's March and, uh, you know, doing the Girl Power shirt, we probably had uh, hundreds of emails and meetings, even as of January 1st, we had no idea last year what we were doing. Like, it was just like, what if we do this? And it was just like all over the course of even, you know, the holidays, my brother and I were like, you know, what about, what about, what about, so I think that when we finally said, you know, a woman on my team said, you should do something with the March. And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. Why didn't I think of that? Yes, done. And then I was able to kind of like move it forward. Amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned your brother. Yes. Um, and obviously he's a guy. <laughs> yes. Um, how would you say working together benefits the brand? And do you find that his active ingredient is similar to yours? Or if it's different, do you think that it's like complimentary? So um, his active ingredient is probably the opposite of mine, but necessary. Okay. So from the beginning, he was always the business man mm-hmm. and the visionary in terms of technology and what that could do mm-hmm. to be closer to my customer, to connect with her, with our connected stores. So I definitely wouldn't be here without him. And yeah. I think, you know, he had a skill set that I couldn't have read a profit and loss statement or managed a budget. And he, you know, knew those things. So yeah. I think that, you know, I was the PR design marketing and he was business. And then as we've been doing this for the last, as we've been doing this for the last 13 years, um, we're now in each other's lanes a lot. But um, he can give me good advice and I can give him, you know, even with the I Am Many campaign, you know, he was like, you you did something great for girl power. Why don't we replicate the same thing? 
And so that was really like me going, oh, duh, let me reach out to the same women that yeah. supported me before and see if totally. they'll do it again. So is that something that you would recommend to anyone starting a business that is maybe more on the creative side to always partner or have someone that's kind of like your brother's brain? I think so, because I think that while I've learned over the course of the last 13 years and now I'm a good businesswoman, um, I didn't start out that way and yeah. it wasn't natural to me. So unless you have the time to learn and grow your company, I think it's always great to partner with someone, but you have to be very careful. Yeah. Um, you know, co-founders are awesome and they can be terrible, especially like we're related. So, you know, we can't get a divorce, but, <laughs> <laughs> I feel but like, like it's like a double-edged sword. It is. And you so can I, also be as honest as possible. Yeah. You have to be really honest. Um, you have to know that like when, when it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. And you know, some co-founders always get along and they're each other's backs. And those are great scenarios, but you're going to disagree. You're going to have differing views and you have to really make sure that in the beginning you set expectations of how you're going to handle that. So how long would you say in the beginning it took for you guys to kind of get the hang of? You know, we had the hang of it. Actually, it was very easy in the beginning. It's when you grow bigger and then one of you starts making mistakes. Those mistakes are really costly. Yeah. You know, so if I do a bag that doesn't sell... And we've sold, you know, 10,000 of them. And mm -hmm. then all those 10,000 bags come back. He's going to be pissed. Yeah. He's going to be like, why did you design a bag that no one wanted? Or if he, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it, um, had this really brilliant technological idea that was one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened. <laughs> is this a real story? Yeah, it is. Um, we, uh, he, we laugh about it now, but with one of our first fashion shows, he wanted the audience to be able to weigh in, which was very forward thinking at the time. Yeah. So, you know, we had a hashtag and people could hashtag and it would show on the screen. And this was like, oh my God, <laughs> seven, five, five to seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was cool that the audience could participate, but the hashtag started trending on Twitter. And then you get all kinds of spam, like oh people's God. private parts on your fashion Stop. show screen and. I've just never heard of the story. nudity and all <laughs> kinds of stuff you did not want in That's front crazy. of this audience. So like stuff like that. So you got this at him. Then I get this at him. But it was fine. We laugh about it now. That is too funny. So, well, aside from that one, are there any other times in the history of the Rebecca Minkoff brand that you can think of that was something that really like made you question yourself and then you got back on the horse? Um, that questioning never stops. Um, you know, I always assumed when I would see other designers get to a certain point that they just must be complacent mm -hmm. and happy and everything's great and they can kind of relax. Um, there's never a moment to relax. There's always somebody far hungrier than you and younger and can run circles around you energy wise to like take your spot. Um, and like the whole idea of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, that's literally my next question. Like, is that something that goes away? No, not for me. Maybe for other people, but I'll be sitting on a panel or I'll be invited to a room and I'm like, why'd they invite me? I shouldn't be here, you know? And then I'm like, wait a second, I should be here. You know, just because I know all, all the dirty laundry within my company and, you know, been there for 13 years, like people are still um, excited and think it's a huge deal. So I'm like, okay, well, that's why I'm here. So right. I'm going to just keep going with, you know, what everyone thinks and not what I've lived through. Cause yeah. I think that also contributes to it is totally. like, you've lived through like the good, the bad and the ugly and not everyone has all those deep secrets. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I it's something that I definitely struggle with too, and I feel like everyone does, and not a lot of people talk about it. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. For sure. I think everybody's dealing with it. I mean, the people that aren't are the ones that are so egotistical, you can't stand to be around them. Yeah. And even that, and even they're probably to some degree consciously or unconsciously like feeling that way. Otherwise they wouldn't be such yeah. assholes. Sometimes I also feel like, is it like, is it actually an ailment or is it your best power? Because it's always making you strive for more. So it's like, while you're, I may be an imposter now at 27, but like when I'm 37, what is my imposter syndrome going to be like relative to what it is now? You know? You're going to be on a, you know, Fortune 500 list <laughs> at 37 or a Fortune 50 list. And you'll be like, oh. But do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. It's so it's also relative, but it's so interesting that you have this huge brain and you still feel that way. It's so All crazy. the time. I feel like it's a, a good thing, though. Keeps you. It also, I feel like it keeps you relatable to your customer, too. You know? Yeah. I mean, why should I ever be better than my customer? I'm here because of her. So how do you, how do you kind of source their information? Like, do you? Do you have actual relationships with with your customers, or how do how do you kind of like source information from them? So uh, obviously, Instagram, the comments, mm-hmm. I read all of them. Um, you know, I do a lot of meet and greets, so just talking to them, yeah, um, I think is the best way to get feedback. And then good old fashioned surveys. We yeah. sent one out two days ago. Oh, amazing! What was it about? <laughs> Just like what kind of bags you like, when do you wear them, you know, how often do you buy a new bag? I just want to know things like that yeah. so that I can better serve, you know, my customer. Totally. And what do you read and what does your team read to kind of like stay up with the news of what is, what's happening? <laughs> so I have forced myself, I would say in the last um, few years to mm-hmm. read a lot of technology and business related publications. Do you like that stuff? I love it now. Okay. I didn't at first. I hate it now, but I'm, like, trying to force myself to read it. I think I get a lot of ideas and I learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's TechCrunch or Mashable or Fast Company or Forbes or Fortune, like, those I definitely have, you know, in my rotation. Mm-hmm. Business of Fashion or Women's Wear Daily. Um, and then, you know, I'll still pick up a magazine or two at the airport that's just yeah. fashion. Um, and different parts of my team, you know, depending on who they are, read different things. So my design team is really focused on trend and, you know, getting inspired and going out into museums and seeing exhibits, but like the e-com team will be all up in articles that are, you know, anything that's related to e-commerce and ROI. So what do you look for in your team? Like when you're hiring someone, what's the first thing that you look for? Um, Definitely an entrepreneurial spirit. We still want someone, even though they're working with us, uh, to be their own sort of go-getter. Um, and they can think outside of their own box. Um, now more than ever, I will never hire, uh, hopefully again, another Debbie Downer or just someone who is politically inclined to try and play the chessboard to like get to the top. And we have, we've had a few of those and, um, they're not with us anymore and it's night and day for the culture of the company. I had a um, boss once I called them cancer. Those people. They're cancer. It spreads, and that it spreads. It spreads like wildfire. And when the last piece of cancer left her company, <laughs> I was like, oh, I like going to the office again. And I love my team. And when they're there, you're just like, I don't know if I like this. So they really do take a lot out of you and a lot out of the company. Yeah. And, if, and, and if you're going to be hanging out with these people more than your spouse or your partner... You, you should really like them. Yeah, for sure. And then I think you need to find someone that does what you do better or does what you can't do better. I think 
We've also had people that I'm like, but they're so nice. They're trying so hard. Guess what? Fire them. There is no time. Are you a fast fire? Well, now I am. But I, I had a long time of like, but, well, they've been with us. And then, and it's just like, you know what? Nope. Get rid of them. You're paying them money. They're there to do a job. This is not like a, a welfare boat. Yeah. Like they need to do a good job fast. And otherwise, what's the point? This right. is not a charity organization. Totally. So. If you were talking to someone, it could be your kids, it could be anyone that asked you and they were completely lost and they were like, I have absolutely no idea what my passion is. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what the first step is for me to find out what my active ingredient is or what my purpose or whatever. What would be your honest, your most honest answer? My most honest answer would be like, what do you want to have in your life? Let's work it backwards. So what is the end product of what you want to have? You can't say money because everyone obviously wants money, mm-hmm. but like, what do you want to have that you've produced? What do you have to do to have that? And then what do you have to be to do that? And I think when you take a look at it backwards, um, it unlocks like, I want to have, I don't know. <clears throat> I want to have people that are made happy by this product that I make. Okay, well, what do you have to do? You know, you can kind of work it like that. And then it's better than like, what do I want to be? Yeah, it's such a loaded question. And I just feel like, especially our generation is like, so overstimulated and that question is asked so much and it's like if you are doing what you love you're never working a day in your life and I feel like so many people are paralyzed by that right that it's like I and I've had so many people on the podcast that's a really good answer give different answers like like pay attention to the things that you liked when you were a kid because a lot of the times like you kind of get confused once you get older and then you end up going back to the thing that you love um and and I would add to that that you can't your answer can't be like I want to be famous or I want to be like have a lot of followers on Instagram or I want money. I yeah. think it really has to be uh, coming from like, what is the end product of what yeah. you want to have in your life? Totally. And that you can't Uber or Amazon prime your way to success and that you actually have to work hard for it. That's I feel like. And something that like my friends and I talk about all the time is that we grew up with instant gratification and we see so many people that are successful and want it immediately. And it's really hard to wake up every single day. Once you've lived in a life of instant gratification to be like, no, like, 10 years from now, you'll feel it. But right now, today, you're hustling with your head down. And like, that's what you got to do every single day. You have to hustle. And it's like, it's 10 years. Yes. It's 10 years till you get what you think you are yeah. going to get. In I kind of want to like shot it from the rooftop. So <laughs> I'm like, it is 10 years, people. I like, talk about it a lot because yeah. I feel like people are like, well, I tried this for a year. And I'm like, guess what? Try it for nine more. Yeah. You know, like my perceived success, I'm 13 years in. So. Mm-hmm. I've hustled and still hustling. Was there any point in those 13 years that you were about to give up? Uh, yes. Like once a year, I almost give up. But like actual almost give up or um, just self-doubt? Both. There, there, there's definitely been both. Sometimes wow. the odds are so great. You're just like, fuck it. I just want to go home. Yeah, <laughs> and totally. then you're like, wait, how Why do I pay? <laughs> how do I, how do I pay for my home? Okay. Let me yeah, go back yeah, to yeah. work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you have three kids. Yes. Would you say that having kids changes your perspective on your active ingredient? It does because you're, at least I shouldn't say you're, my, um, what's the word? My priorities have entirely shifted since I had kids. So, you know, prior to having kids, it was work like till midnight every night and work all weekend. It didn't matter. There was nothing that would do that. And then you have a baby and I want to be their mom. Yeah. And so 
I have to figure out how to multitask and build a really great team to totally. lean on. And so it definitely changes it. I can't, I can't tell you. Um, it also opens up a piece of your like, wow, I got to do something to make a better world because yeah. I want my children to not live in a slave like society. Totally. So I think it makes you also think about every decision you make is not just for your own selfish purposes, but for the greater good for yeah. your kids. Yeah. Do you think that the organizations that you've started have had something to do with your kids in the back of your head? Definitely. I think I want them to grow up in an equal, fair world yeah. uh, where women and men make the same amount of money yeah. <laughs> and women have the same rights as men. And so I think that definitely what I'm doing with all my feminine equality <laughs> movements uh, is geared towards that. Well, this has been amazing. Thank I always, you. um, I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient? Like, is it coffee? Is it tea? Lately, it lately it's been a lot of matcha. Okay. Um, I hope the hype is real that it's anti-cancerous. I think it is. And good for you. So I'm going to just keep drinking it like as my anti-cancer drink. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on Active Ingredient. I literally want to pinch myself. This is amazing. Yeah, thank you. What What are your handles so everyone knows? At Rebecca Minkoff. Listen to my podcast. Yes. It's called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. Uh, Download it it wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review me, please. (laughs) Rate and review her, people. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a second to rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you guys next time.